It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's my 20-year anniversary um, of winning the state championship back in high school when I was a senior. Tom Brady won a championship 20 years ago. He's still playing. I've played high school. I've played college. I have retired from the league, and I have made the Hall of Fame, and he's still playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just some people, you know, some people just have that thing, and he, you know, his drive is is to be a great teammate, to be a great quarterback, to have his business, to, you know, be the head of his family. And, and, and if his family is good with it, then, you know, that's a great thing. Take a hint, Tom Brady. Come on, for God's sakes. People are living multiple lives in this time span. <laughs> okay, so Jordan, listen, I know that people are going to think this is like yesterday's news, but to me, it's not yesterday's news, and that's St. Saint, that's, uh, Saint Peter's. Uh, and their incredible run in this tournament. I mean, everybody in the world was rooting for them. They're small. I don't think they, I think they might have like 3,000 students. Wasn't that, I mean, talk about a Cinderella story. Bill Murray should do this. That's a Cinderella story. So, I mean, did you get excited about it? Did you watch any of the tournament? Uh, not excited at all. I'm, I'm mostly dead <laughs> inside. I'm somebody who's loyal to the Michigan Wolverines. So while uh, you guys have your dalliances with these Cinderella teams, congratulations. Uh, they all had ended heartbreak. Spoiler alert. Uh, it's all fun and games until only one team goes home happy. So, you know, hope- with the, you know, now that I think about it, maybe there should be a slap off between Will Smith and the coach of the University of Michigan don't, basketball team. Don't what do you even, think of that? Don't even start there. Juwan yeah. Howard, that, that storyline has shifted. Did you see him cradling? He cradled. He cradled the the, oh. the athlete who lost. That's the new narrative, Governor. Get I'm on board. I'm glad he's changed. I am glad he's changed. And he must have heard the podcast where we were on him. He must have heard that, and he must have said, "I need to change." And God but, bless him. This is I let it be known that I stood by him all the way through. That that's always been Jawan Howard. So you try to dismerge him because he he mildly pushed an assistant coach once. Yeah. That's. Yeah. The, yeah. Let me tell you, I'm gonna. You know, he mildly pushed you, and you know, being a swing dancer and everything, you could probably take it, as you, <laughs> as you know. But Jordan, how are your nets doing, by the way? I mean, have you and your wife been to another game? Those seats are like eight hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, of course. You did say you were rich, so I guess you can I'm, afford those seats. I'm right? very rich, so I can get down front wherever I need to. Not a thing. Well, no, I, we haven't been in a little while, but we're excited. I mean, it's it's playoffs time. I think the team is is getting getting healthy. Fingers crossed stays healthy and can and make a good run. I I, I don't know. And, and Kyrie, so much fun they to changed watch. Kyrie, they changed all of the rules in New York City for a basketball player. <laughs> now, if they'd have changed it for you, I could understand, but they changed it for him. It's, Kyrie you know, it's it's good drama. New York likes good drama. And so, yeah, the, the rules, suddenly Kyrie can finally play at home. And th- th- what a complicated situation. I, 
I I like how stringent well, New York so has been. <laughs> if you don't get vaccinated, you can't play unless you're a fan of the Nets, and then well, they'll change the rules. It became and an the issue. mayor caved already. The mayor's been in office for like a couple months, and he's already sold out. Although I do like him. <laughs> I know this is where this is my, this is my bias. I want stringent uh, stringent rules when it comes to vaccination, but when it comes to my team winning, I throw it all out the door. That's the number one thing. So thank you, Kyrie. Welcome back. Please uh, bring some joy to Brooklyn. And, and, and you know, the other thing is, uh, Jordan, what's uh, cool is we have all the super teams today, you know, which I can't figure out who's on first. I mean, you can't go to a – now the people that can make money are those that sell programs because nobody knows from week to week who's on what team. People know. But, you just don't know. You're, you're well, not an example of people. Uh, how about this guy we're having today? He was – the beginning of the super team. It's real. I'm so excited to have him on here today. Go ahead, Jordan. This, Introduce no, our we, guest, we are please. we are super excited, super lucky. Our guest today, NBA Hall of Famer, eleven time All Star, two time NBA champion, Olympic gold medalist, and the league's global ambassador. He's his memoir, Letters to a Young Athlete, is available now. It offers a, a proven path for taming your inner voice and making it your ally through the challenges of failure and success alike. We have. Chris Bosch on the show. Thank you, Chris. Hey, good to be here. You guys are funny. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry you have to funny. you have to hear our basketball analysis to start off. That's it's it's weak. It's weak, and oh, no, I apologize. No, it's good. It's it's uh, you know points of view, man. Don't so, bring that weak wow. stuff in here. Is what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what he's saying. <laughs> Chris, I want to kick this off. You have you have a memoir out yeah. right now, and in that memoir, you invite and encourage your audience to find their why. So I want to know, I want to turn it right back on you. Why write a memoir? And also what is your why? Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's so interesting. Um, that the word memoir, uh, you know, so many people, um, have used it and I guess it, it kind of is sort of, I never thought about it that way. I just, um, kind of went along with the process and was more so trying to figure out, what I wanted to say, what I felt was important. And, you know, book writing is hard. I knew that coming into the process, but um, people were asking me to like, yo, you should write a book. And I didn't know what the hell I was going to write about. You know what I mean? And it's like, it was like a two year process. And, um, you know, I found myself just reflecting on what got me to that particular point at that particular time. And that's the reason uh, for, um, the title of the book letters to a young athletes, because, you know, the, the books that I felt that helped me most were books that were on business and based off of, um, you know, mental preparation and things like that. So although it does say young athlete, it's really for everybody. It's a universal message and, you know, finding your why so many times I'm um, playing basketball, um, rising through the ranks and I'm sure in media politics, anything you're going for, um, I've been a witness to people and I felt it myself where you'll think you want to do something because you think the money is going to satisfy you or the notoriety or the championship. And those things aren't going to do it, you know? So I want to challenge people to think deeper, um, think deeper about why they're doing something because you're, if you're really going after something, if you really want to be a champion, you're going to have to be waking up early, going to sleep late, doing things that you don't necessarily want to do, pushing your body and your mind beyond limits. 
you know, playing psychological mind games with your opponent, <laughs> you know, you're going to be doing those things necessary to win. So when it gets hard, you're going to have to really, really um, rely on that why. And at that time uh, of me playing basketball, I played the game because I love playing the game. It just completed me. I mean, just even going, you know, when you go into a gym and you get that smell, I'm a, I love that smell. You know, it reminds me of childhood. It reminds me of, you know, just coming up and trying to be something. So, you know, I always just wanted to, you know, be the best um, in something, push myself uh, to be the best and try to accomplish things in a team sport. And, you know, playing team sports, too. That's a great thing. You know, camaraderie, friendship, um, learning life lessons with, um, you know, uh, uh, elder coaches and things like that. It was just all those things incorporated you know, helped me at that time of playing basketball. Now I'm in a different place. Chris, there's so many things. I mean, I could talk to you for a couple hours here. I, there's so many questions I, I want to ask you about, you know, adrenaline and being interrupted in the height of your career and all that. But before we go there, there's a young man that I try to coach, um, you know, uh, at distance. He's 12 years old. His name is Jackson Rohr, Okay. And he just started to play basketball. And I said, Jackson, the most important thing in basketball is to learn how to dribble. People think it's all about shooting. It ain't about shooting. First, you learn how to dribble. Then you learn how to pass. And then when you're really good at that, then you learn how to shoot. Am I wrong? I mean, no. It's, it's so many different ways, right? It's more than one way to skin a cat, right? <laughs> you know, I, I guess for me, you know, for me, I grew up playing on the playground and fundamentals. I didn't really learn the fundamentals until probably about the ninth grade going into the 10th grade. So I was a pretty raw basketball player in, in the beginning. But, you know, one thing that I found, everybody has their own mix in their own way. Um, and, and we all have our own paths to get to our goal. Right. That that is a point. I can't say it's not right. It's not wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because if you just take the ball, I know I'm pretty sure you've seen yeah, the little league games. You're breaking down my lesson to him, and he's going to want to hear this. <laughs> and you're going to be saying, "Don't pay attention to Kasich. Just do what you want to do." He's not six eleven, however. He's just yeah. a little little guy, you know. Well, I mean, you know, taking the pieces. I love breaking things down into pieces. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you'll learn how to dribble and pass, and those are important things. You don't want to be the guy running with the ball as soon as you get it, and then you can't play at all. But you know, it's it's always so many um, um, different ways to get there. But again, I will back you up though. You got to listen to coach. You know, you're the coach. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm, I'm not oh, the coach. I, I, I you know, I'm no, just. I, no. can I, I knew it. I'd like I to disagree here. For all of for all of the children listening to this podcast, and there's there's literally three of them out there. I want them to take all basketball advice from you and not Coach Kasich. That's from here on forward. You're the expert. I'm curious. Actually, what you just said, Chris, you talk a lot and you think a lot about basketball and finding finding meaning, finding your why, um, but also finding joy. There's something very zen about sometimes the way you talk about basketball, find, finding the joy in those moments because it can be full of so much heartache. That feels almost antithetical to the way 
a lot of kids are asked to view basketball. It's so goal-oriented. You, you, you're there to win a championship, and you're prided on whether you win, and, and your successes are on you getting up even when you lose to we're going to win next season. You start working again, and that's so single-minded, and it almost seems like it has to be for a world-class athlete like yourself to be that single-minded and so goal-oriented. Sure. And yet it feels like the uh, uh, happiness works on a totally different scale where that single-mindedness gets in the way of finding joy and happiness because you can't control everything. Do you, yeah. did you, do you have to, have you had to live with that contradiction? Am I oversimplifying it? No, no, absolutely. It is kind of a, uh, such a contradiction. You do have to be single-minded, but one of the things that I found, um, and these were things that I practiced while I was playing. Um, one of the things that I found is having that mindset, having more of an open flowing mindset, taking the things as they come. That's, that was like the Holy grail for me because I didn't want to think anymore. You know, you spend your time thinking, you'll mess up. You just have to go out there, you play the game, you read and react, and you live with the results because you train every day and we had trained all our lives. But at the same time, yeah, you're singularly focused on, on one goal. One of the things that it helped me do was really stay in the moment. Um, you know, as crazy as it sounds like, you know, the whole NBA season being a collection of plays, you know, just try your best to stay present and focus on each play because it's going to require your attention. Um, and, and really for me, what helped me was, yes, I did want it to win. When I'm on the court, I'm single-minded. You have to have that mentality, that killer instinct. I do want to win championships. You know, I do want to have team success. I think now um, it's kind of getting confused a little bit, the, the, the glorification, which has probably already always been like this, but, if you score a bunch of points on a losing team, it's okay. As opposed to being a part of a great team. I think, you know, kids want to aspire to be, well, as long as I get my points, it's all good. I wanted to kind of, one thing I learned about being in Miami was how important the team was and putting yourself inside that team, having that singular mindset for the championship, but it's a brotherhood. It's a team. You know, if I'm doing something detrimental to the team, then we're not going to reach our goal. If we're not holding each other accountable as a team, we're not going to be able to go any forward uh, and much forward. So like for me, I, you know, I, I had the accolades, the individual accolades early in my career, but I found myself not very happy and empty. I wanted to, I wanted to be great. I wanted to be a champion. That's something that I always wanted to do. But in that, I found that you have to have a strong team and it's really about the ride because Although I do have championships and it's great, most people don't win it. <laughs> like you were joking earlier, he's like, yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> it mostly ends in heartbreaking. But, but like, um, just to, to the um, gentleman from St. Peter's, think about the ride they had. You know what I mean? And, and think about somebody that might be on that team if they weren't enjoying it because the he's pissed off because the coach wasn't playing him and he wasn't taking in every moment, you know? They were a team. Those are moments fleeting by. They, they so, yeah, you want to be a part of a team. Of a team. Yeah. Uh, Chris, listen, there's so much to cover here. Coming out of draft class with Dwayne Wade, Carmelo, LeBron, I mean, it's just unbelievable, the, that that class. But I'm – and I want to get to that. Uh, I hope Jordan does too. But what I'm particularly interested is here you are. Boy, and I can remember you hitting that left-hander from the corner and winning that championship and two two titles and 
just in Miami of all places. It's just, it's, you know, like you're on fire. But then one day, in the middle of all this, in one day, you get a blood clot and you get several. And all of a sudden, it's over. Yeah. Really hard, wasn't it? It was extremely hard. Um, and this was one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book and, and kind of tell people about those concepts of like, yeah, be singular minded, but enjoy what you're doing because it'll really one day be over. Um, for me, I was in the middle of trying to redefine myself, reinvent my game. I felt um, that we had a team good enough to compete for a championship. Dwayne had something to prove. We had a very strong team. So after um, we have our run, Brian goes back to Cleveland. He's got a good team. We've got a good team. You know, I was like, man, it'd be it'd be great to duke it out with my brother, you know, but it just, you know, that just didn't happen. And it, it helped me realize how fleeting life in this game is, you know. I mean, just, you know, kind of alluded to the NCAA tournament. I empathize with a lot of those athletes because it's like, wow, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? What am I going to do? Um what am I going to do moving forward? What's wrong with me? But I can't play the game anymore, you know, and that's just a fact now. So moving on from that, I understood then that, you know, it all is over one day. And and so then that made me kind of, it kind of put me in a different mind frame. Um, I became, I become more of a family man. I was before, but I'm, you know, being in the house and not so much on the road, concentrating on being you a father. you were angry, too, and depressed. And people need to oh, hear yeah, this because sure. it's, no, it's, yeah. not, it's not the, just a game of basketball is all over. The game is over in life at times, right? It, you get For to sure. it and it's done. So how did you work your way through it? And how long, you know, how did you, how'd you, how'd you win that battle? Well, yeah, a lot of people don't know. So it happened twice. Um, once was really bad. Um, I collapsed lung. I had tubes in my chest, nearly lost my life. And then I worked back from that, got back to championship form and all-star form in less than a year. And then I had another one, you know? And so it, just having it snatched away, it feels unfair. It, you know, you have your pity party and, and, and yeah, you go through some depression and, and woe is me and why is this happening and all this stuff. But eventually I just kept my mind open. I kept finding things to do throughout my day. I'm blessed to have children. I have five children. So, you know, I, I got right to the, to the carpool line, you know, we're packing lunches, we're doing activities and things like that. I just had to find a way, you know, to get back on my feet. And I remember one of the things that kind of snapped me out of it, it was two instances. One was talking to somebody and they ended up, you know, telling me like, yo, it never ends the way you want it to. And I couldn't say anything to that. And then I had another friend who told me, like, yeah, you know, I was a kid with cancer, so you re it really is on you to be happy. And having these conversations, I said, okay, I can sit here and stay in this place, or I can be ambitious and find that thing, find a reason to get up in the morning, right? That's that self-motivation that you have to have or that you have to build. But, you know, I had to eventually, I got tired of being tired, you know? I wanted to get up and do something about it. I, I imagine not only moving on from a career is is so life changing and emotional and and full of grief, but how does that compare to what it's like to also to not only go from you go from Toronto to Miami, but you're also leaving teammates, community, what you've built. Like what what is the what is the feeling of of leaving a team like that? And does that compare to what it feels like for 
for retirement as well. It, it was tough, you know, and, and, you know, I knew that the people of Toronto, the fans, my friends would understand, but I, I knew that the overall perception wouldn't be so uh, uh, happy. <laughs> and what made it especially tough, I had broke my nose. I didn't play the last game because my last game as a Raptor, I broke my nose in my eye socket. And so I went in surgery. I was out for like a week and we was only a week left in the season, like five days left in the season. So I got my, um, you know, they pack your nose. And so I went to the doctor, got it taken out and then went to the game. And it was my last game, like going there as a member of the team. And they had signs. Everybody has signs and was like, stay. We want you to stay. We want more. And I'm just like, golly, I haven't even gone through the process. I haven't even really put myself in that position to think about it. You know what I mean? Because I knew it was going to be a tough decision. I didn't know what to do. But, you know, eventually I came to the decision and, you know, I had to be real with myself and my goals and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve um, as a basketball player and as a teammate. So, you know, I made the decision. And even though it was tough, you know, we, we always say, you always hear it, it's a part of the business, uh, but it didn't make it easy. It didn't make it easy to, you know, pretty much leave. I, you know, I have an apartment, I have a, you know, a house, a nice condo that I like, and it has a beautiful view of the city. And <laughs> Don't run out of gas you know? in Toronto. They're not going to help you, Chris, just so you know. <laughs> I can promise you. <laughs> hey, Chris, um, you know, being on that court, you know, I talked to a a coach, a couple great athletes, they run out of the tunnel, just like, you know, Jordan, you know, the big house. I've never been there. I'm going to go. My only game I'm going to go to, I'm going to go with Jordan. If he invites me, I'm not sure he will, but I want to go. I'll take you, I'll take through, you to the big house. Look, you uh, come I, well, I the, can't get you on the field though, to be clear. That's okay. You come I, I through the no tunnel. No, we don't want to get on the field breaks. anyway. People okay. be throwing stuff at us, but, but here's the thing. You go through the tunnel and, and it's adrenaline like you never, you've never known. And so, that's one thing that you had to adjust to, I'm sure. I mean, hitting those threes and, I mean, just amazing. And then I look at Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady said he was, you know, he was going to quit and he was going to spend time with his family. It reminds me of John Madden. When John Madden told his family he was going to quit, spend more time with them, and then after three weeks they say, could you go back to your, your job? <laughs> I mean, is, is that what you think somebody like Brady misses is the notion that that adrenaline is just not there. And that's a, I think that's big stuff for rock stars. It's probably big for athletes as well, huh? For sure. I would say that, you know, I was reading Brady's quotes. I could read the the gray athlete quotes, and I'm like, he never really said he was going to stop. Everybody was like, well, he's retired. I said, man, I don't think he ever said. I didn't think he was going to come back, but then he comes back. I think in his, I think in his, in his instance, he's perfected the football life. You know, he's at an age where he can make things happen. He's arguably the best quarterback in the league last year. He arguably could have won an MVP trophy last year. So essentially, he's on top of his game. He's as best as better as he's ever been, you know, throwing the ball. I think it, it kind of it's, it's a it's, it's a circular picture, right? It's all in there. Yeah, you can't. And I know this from experience now, like everybody asks me, do you miss it? I say, yeah, of course I miss it, but I can't, you can't feel that. I'm not looking to feel that thing, but he knows, I'm sure as, as long as he can do it 
as long as he can feel that feeling, as long as he can go down there on that field, I mean, yeah, play in front of 80,000, 60,000, 70,000 people, you know, that shouldn't, you know, that, that doesn't happen. And I'm sure um, he's, he's, I mean, hell, all, probably all of his friends are, have been retired. You know, I have a joke, like, well, not even a joke. When I, 20 years ago, it's my 20 year anniversary um, of winning the state championship back in high school when I was a senior. Tom Brady won a championship 20 years ago. He's still playing. I've played high school. I've played college. I have retired from the league and I have made the Hall of Fame and he's still playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just some people, you know, some people just have that thing. And he, you know, his drive is is to be a great teammate, to be a great quarterback, to have his business, to, you know, be the head of his family. And, and, and if his family is good with it, then, you know, that's a great thing. Take a hint, Tom Brady. Come on, for God's sakes. People are living multiple lives in this time span. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And I mean, you know, and just, I mean, just, I, I, you say take a hit. That's like, man, if he gets hit, man, I couldn't imagine. Like, I remember being an athlete at, at 30, and I was like, I don't know, man. This shit is crazy on my body. You know, at 44 years old or 40, I don't even know how old he is. It's like, he's just defying the odds, and I guess he's trying to submit build his own Tom Brady Island. It'll be the NFL and then it'll be Tom Brady over there, man. It's incredible. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Something I, I heard about you is talking about dealing with the, the ups and downs and the stresses of NBA life. Uh, you oftentimes turn to uh, your relationship and your, uh, with your wife as far as a sounding board to get you through some of those things, which... Yeah. It's not a story you often hear about uh, professional athletes and the relationships they have uh, working with their their partner like that. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, you know, um, wives don't get enough credit. Um, the people behind you, um, the people off the court don't get enough credit. Um, it, it was so great to see. Of course, you know, we had a group of great wives. We had a great teammate, um, Heidi Battier, um, um, Savannah James, Gabrielle Union, my wife, you know, it was just um, Faith Haslam, Adonis Haslam's wife, you know, it, they have to be a team as well because, you know, we're always not in the best mood. <laughs> as an athlete, we're either tired or grumpy or both, you know, and they play such a huge role in, in holding down the household, taking care of the kids, making sure it smells good and maybe you have some food when you come home. That'd be you know, kind of cool, but at the same time doing their things and, and, and living their lives. And, and it was, you know, it was inspirational to watch, but more importantly, like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I come off um, from the court and stuff like that, I have things to get off my chest. I'm trying to figure things out. I still have my best friends who, you know, guy friends, I still have my teammates, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, she was so invested in me and she pushed me uh, to be great and get to where I want to go. And, and, and I never took that lightly. So, and, and my wife is super smart and she's way smarter than me, you know? So I, I was always looking for pointers, looking for things. And she gave such a fresh perspective of things, you know, women give such a different perspective, you know, dudes will be all like, Oh, we got to play harder, you know, and the wife will say something well, and it makes sense and it works, you know? So 
I found Famous myself. said you should have worked on your dribbling when you were younger. You know, it's possible. Leave it, Governor. <laughs> <laughs> this is. Said you should have listened to Coach Kasich. All right. That's. That's my, that's all I got. You know, <laughs> Chris, you were saying, Jordan, you know, he, it was really interesting because Chris was saying that when he left, and even now, I guess if you're not in the game, you're kind of not in the game. Same thing with politics, you know, because I kind of feel if you're not in the game, you're kind of not in the game. It's a mode to that. You're not locked in every day. Like the, you know, the train leaves right. the station, <laughs> you know, eventually. But yeah, I was in Miami last week. I um, talked to Pat Riley all the time, talked to Coach Paul all the time. I talk to LeBron, you know, we text every now and then, Dwayne. You know, when you form a brotherhood like that, you keep in touch, you know. Um, I just, you know, Shane had dinner with Shane. Um, You you know, we all all still hang out. We make it a point to, you know, still keep in touch and talk to each other and, you know, make sure everybody is doing okay because everybody has families. We're, well, LeBron is still playing. (laughs) And Carmelo's still playing too, but like, we're all looking for, you know, that next thing to, to, that drives us to, to be successful at. Yeah, Pat, I'm watching the new Lakers uh, series on HBO. Pat Riley is Adrian Brody. Is that good casting? Hold on. Let me, I'm going to pull up a picture right quick. I haven't, so I haven't started the series yet. I got to see what he looks like. You got to binge it. It's pretty great. It's, yeah, I'm a, I wanted to, um, a quick, quick fun story. I actually read for uh, Kareem's part. Really? So I feel, yeah, a couple of years ago. So I like, no, it was right before the pandemic. And I feel so connected to that movie. And I'm like, oh, I wanted it so bad. That's it. What, I mean, what, what? If, if he puts on an Armani suit with the slick back, you know, it could, you know, it can work. <laughs> he can what? pull it off. He's got slick, yeah. <laughs> that's good casting, man. <laughs> what's it, what's it, that, that's a, that's a, a funny thing to hear. What's it like to read for Kareem, both to put your foot into the acting world, but secondarily then to play an iconic also, yeah, you're both Hall of Famers. Yeah, that's crazy to say, right? That's crazy yeah. to say. Kareem is awesome. You know, he's an author. We actually had lunch before um, a few years back, and and, um, you know, this is even before me writing a book. This dude has wrote like eight or nine or ten books, like Crazy. He's he's legit scholar. <laughs> you know what and, I mean. And also Sherlock Holmes fiction as well, right? Is it, he, he writes a lot of books Has about he? Sherlock. Yeah, he's got he's unbelievably prolific. And and one of the That's things crazy. he's into, I believe, is Sherlock Holmes fan fiction. And he has many published, well regarded Sherlock Holmes tales. Uh, fascinating That's guy. Fascinating dude. And and you know, it just came about, and I figure I'd try you know try for it and. And, you know, I just kept reading for it, but I just, you know, it would have been super cool to to, to be in um, that space. I mean, we're kind of getting to the point now where all the stories are kind of starting to be told, the basketball stories. And, you know, that was such a tremendous time. I mean, they owned the 80s, you know, no offense to Celtics fans, but they owned the 80s. You know, they had to look like my dad was a huge Pat Riley fan. I mean, you know, when you say Showtime, you know what that is. When you think of Pat Riley, like they were, you know, leaders in the game. You know what I mean? Mr. Dr. Bus and Jack Nicholson and then Pat Riley with his Armani suits with the slick back hair. And you got magic. I mean, it was it was an incredible atmosphere, but like such a um, such a genesis to to like a new, fresh way to take in the game and live the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh- so, you know, speaking of that, so I was watching TNT the other night, and I don't know if you've seen this, Jordan, but 
Shaq was explaining to Kenny Smith how you don't have to spend $80 to fill up your gas tank. When the gas tank gets down halfway, you put $20 in, and then it'll take it back up again, and you don't have to put the money in to let it go all the way down. And there's Barkley, and I swear, I the whole thing was so funny, and uh, and Barkley was just roaring, and the host, Ernie, he, he kept saying, what's closer, the moon or the sun? Uh, it was hilarious. If anybody hasn't <laughs> seen it, it's going to live for a long time. But what about that TNT magic there, Chris? And could you do something like that? I mean, if you take Shaq and Kenny and Barkley, there's just, you know, it's almost like PTI, you know, where yeah. where those two guys have just connected with something. They got chemistry, they say, yeah. uh, Jordan. They got chemistry. What Do you ever watch that? Do you like that show? Do you like those guys, particularly? Well, everybody wants to know about Charles, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I've been um, a guest on TNT a few times. Uh, Turner is always great to work with. You know, the, yeah, they do have magic there. They have, they figured out some kind of thing. And on top of that, they've done thousands of shows, you know, so building in the community, even when Shaq came in, he was like an added piece. And as opposed to trying to start it all over again, they, he joins the cast, you know? So, I mean, they've been, they've been working since the nineties and just refining it and refining it. And they found like this magic space to where it can just go. And, and, and it's great because it's not even half the time about basketball. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like a break from the game. It's like, oh, yeah, we're watching basketball. But you still kind of um, um, get that conversational stuff that you want to. Like like you're talking to your friends or listening to your friends and, and laughing and joking, you know, do play, sometimes do, or sometimes being serious. Do players get annoyed by their criticism? Do they see them as like the old guard uh, critiquing the 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 young guard playing is is there is there a love between the players and the ex players who are critiquing what's happening on the court? Yeah, there's a love, but there's an annoyance too. If you're a player, you know that's why I mostly stay out of it. <laughs> 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 you know, I, for sure. I mean, you know, I, we we've all been young players or young people, right? And you know, if an older person is telling you what to do, it's like, hey, shut up. You know, you always. Yes, that 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 is for as long as human existence is going. I think that'll always be a thing, you know. But yeah, I mean, they 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 offer their opinions, and it you know some are good, some people don't care for. You know, it's really on the players to listen or not listen. Um, they have a show to do. Uh, I know for me as a player, I never really got much into it. If somebody says something, you know, you'll still have to tell me good job eventually, you know. So I don't necessarily have to respond. Um, to the criticism, but you have to respond to my success. You know what I'm saying? So I always kind of took it as that and, you know, not let it distract me too much. You know, it's not personal. Sometimes it can be, but even if it is, you just move on. You just play the game. Curry and Curry, Steph Curry and, uh, and Clay Thompson. If, are they ushering in a whole new era uh, in basketball? I mean, we're all, everybody's talking about Giannis and all that, but you look at Curry and Clay and what they're able to do, it just seems like outer space basketball to me. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, they've already ushered in a new, <laughs> they've already ushered in a new uh, generation. I think Trey Young is pretty much like the first oh, yeah. Steph yeah, Curry like ball player um, that we've seen, you know, and, and that happens, right? Like 
Um, Steph Curry's three-pointer is like Jordan's fadeaway. You know, like all the kids want to do it. Everybody wants to do it. It changed the game. You know, it took the game and cracked the shell. And um, yeah, I think we're going to definitely start seeing more players attempt to be that. But at the same time, they need to look at all the other things Steph is doing and just not shoot threes. Like, you know, they should probably listen to what he says because I'm, I'm sure it's a bunch of content out there of him explaining how to eventually work your way up to shooting it from the parking lot, you know. <laughs> but you just have to, you know, continue to work and all that stuff. I, 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 want, I want a little bit of insight of what it's like to feel in, some people call it flow, I've heard it described as being in the flow. I've heard it described as jazz when everybody is clicking and and open to to the movement. I've heard Steve Kerr kind of talk about that as well. Like when it's working, it's working and you step out of the way. How, how do you describe that in some of those moments when you think about when you think about when you're not thinking and you're just you're mm-hmm. just in the groove? You know, you have to work to get to that space. You know, you have to think quite a bit to get to the point of not thinking right through repetition, you know, and as basketball players, that's like kind of like the part of the job definitely that I don't miss. It's necessary, but I don't miss running over another play and then doing it again and again and again and again and again and again, the morning, afternoon, night. Oh my God. You know, but the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of you. So you're able to not think if we're running thumbs up, I don't have to think about it. I get in my spot and I move. You know, the game now is kind of moved to this part where it's like, all right, we weren't a one thumbs up. That's our play. But you got to know every position on the court, you know, but this, you know, um, having a basic concept of movement um, is always great in basketball, being able to play, read and react. Um, One of the things that I love playing with the Heat was that, you know, the amount of film that we watched together, you know, talking through these things, it's like, okay. You know, when, when you look at me, are you going to zig or zag? I'm going to zag. Okay, cool. You have these conversations. You have these dinners. You hang out. You know, you, you, you hang out off the court as well. You build up that team, that trust. And that's more important than anything because you're going to need those nonverbal communication skills when 20,000 people want you to, you know, lose, you know what I mean? I, I, was, I was actually I, amazed a, a few months back, I went to a Nets game. Uh, they're playing the heat of all teams. And uh, I joke, but I don't usually get very good seats, but I had good seats for this one where I was up close and you could really you could really feel the game. And I was watching Duncan Robinson, uh, who's lights out from three. And I think what I was struck by is just so freaking fast. The, the catch and release and all of the yeah. plays, but I was specifically watching him, former Michigan man, and and it, it was hitting me at this time. It was like, it's he's making shots because he made them years ago in the driveway and it's 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 mm-hmm. it's moving faster than you can articulate and so that it, it just it felt like such such movement that was already in the body that was already worked on it's the tape it's For the sure. practice because i was like oh the speed it was just so much faster than i could even contemplate there was no moment for doubt there was no moment to think about how to make that happen it was like oh nope. this play this play happened oh, six years ago yeah <laughs> did it feel like that I was like oh you're like yeah. you're practicing for a play that you're gonna make uh six years later that you won't have time to think about but thank god you put that time in back in the day well, I mean, it's all a part of the game. You know, it's all in the part of the things that we do every day. And if you want to be a successful basketball player, um, practicing, um, you know, you know, 
practicing that catch and shoot. So in Duncan Robinson's, he's working at this one point little league or something like that. He's like, okay, man, I like to shoot it. High school, the levels keep going. Then you get to the pros, it gets faster. Not only does it get faster, the guys get taller and they know you can shoot. Matter of fact, even worse, you're on the scouting report. You know what I mean? And they want to stop you to make sure you cannot affect the game. Those are the challenges. And so you find yourself being like, all right, on top of, you know, all of these Legos that I've built, that's my game. I need to shoot it a little quicker. You know what I mean? And speed. Now we're talking about speed of releases being a thing, reading and reacting to the defense because they're going to do something there. It's different every single time. You know, even if you shoot it, the hand will be here, a hand will be here, maybe right here. Maybe you'll be wide open, you know? So just continuing to build on what you do, you know, practice, you know, I hate to say practice makes perfect. You know what I'm saying? That's just one of those things. Practice, the repetition just allows you to flow and be creative as, as the game is flowing to you, you know? We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Chris, I wondered what you think about gambling. You know, where well, you got the NLAL, I know that's not gambling, but you got massive gambling uh, on college sports. Massive gamble. Now they're now we're gambling in golf. Who who do we think is likely to win? Um, you know, they're gambling on every everything. Used to be like horse racing or maybe boxing or something. Yeah, is this healthy for our our country to to be so obsessed? with gambling. Think about the NFL. I mean, yeah. tell me what you think about that as a man who's got, uh, you're a man of character. Yeah. What's your sense of this? It's, it's definitely a slippery slope. Uh, and it is kind of a contradicting message because before, you know, um, athletes, we can think of a bunch of athletes who get in trouble for gambling. And now, you know, you can, if you got a smartphone and you live in the right state or sports betting, maybe I should say, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah, I should, okay. sports I should, betting. Put, I should sports be more betting. There specific we go. about it. I, I meant right. sports betting is what I really mean. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, we don't want to ruffle any feathers. It's all the same to me, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely, um, it's something you got to watch, you know, and, and it is, like I was saying it's a contradictory message. Like before it was like, no, all this anti things, we don't touch it, but now we've worked our way into a point in society where, you know, the the business of it is really, really catching fire and, and it's what people want. You do have to watch it. I don't bet. You know, I played my little fantasy football, even, um, you know, I think I played uh, DraftKings with the group for a while, 100 bucks a game. Didn't like it. <laughs> I don't like losing money, you know. So it's just one of those things you have to be responsible. You have to watch it. And I just hope that the leagues do a, a good job of getting people help. If if you're gonna have if you're gonna have something like sports betting to where someone can, you know, do damage to themselves, there needs to be something that they could latch on to to help in some kind of way. I don't know what that is. Like I say, that's a very slippery slope. And I don't know, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of where it goes. And, you know, I've heard, you know, I've seen the stories uh, of people, you know, losing everything they have because of betting. I wouldn't necessarily touch it myself because I'm competitive, you know, and I have I have buddies that sports bet and I'll sit there and we'll we'll watch we'll watch a game. The craziest things have happened when you play that line. 
That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I've, I've been a witness to it. It's insane. You know, so I'm like, yeah, I'm not touching this stuff. <laughs> Chris, what, what advice do you give to uh, young athletes coming up uh, in terms of the business side of, of sports? Keep it simple. Um, I, I'm the type of person, I don't think you have to create a business while you're playing basketball. I think that's a mixed message that people make you think that you have to do because I tried and failed in many things, many endeavors. Running a business is hard. People that do it full time can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, I think um, I think players should just you folk, your business is your body. Your business is playing basketball. There are other things that you can get into, but you need to have uh, um, an accredited financial institution back in your bank. <laughs> do the work and build the relationship with them. That's a job, you know, keeping what I have, <laughs> maybe making a couple of bucks. That's a job. But no, you know, when you're young, nobody really tells you that they make you think like, well, you got to have a brand. You got to have a clothing line. You got to have this. And you just end up stretching yourself thin and not even maximizing your potential on the court or on the field. You know, so for me, I would instruct them, this would just be my advice. Your business is you. Make sure you get to practice. Make sure you get back from practice. Make sure you have something good to eat or hire somebody to do these things. But, you know, as far as like finances and things is concerned, educate yourself. You know, it's too much information out there not to be educated, you know, and I've made enough mistakes and, and went through life just a little bit enough to be like, all right, cool. Let me learn the fundamentals of things for myself. And then I can go from there because everybody just wants you to spend money. That's that's the first thing I talk about. Tell people like, yo, you, they'll take your money. Yeah, that's great. Like I was in so many positions. As soon as you get drafted, it's like, oh, everybody has a way to make more money. But it's like, why would I want to make, which is great, but I have enough money. Can't even keep up with that money. You know, <laughs> I can't even keep up with that. Let me. Let me learn this first and then I can grow as opposed to being consistently overwhelmed because you're overreaching and, you know, trying to make a million dollars. If you're blessed enough, if you have a million dollars, don't don't go chasing stuff. It's like kind of like the sports betting. You know what I mean? You don't chase it too much, man. Just be fundamental in, in your in your foundation. Know, know the basics and then grow from there. But work on your game. Get in the gym. <laughs> and getting that and getting those office meetings too. You know, those are very important. How do you put the time in, the intensity, the hard work, but not let those things become a part of you or the definition of you? Because when you first got hurt and you first came out, if your wife hadn't have been there, I don't know what would have happened because it was yeah. hard for you. And so, you know, I can tell you that for me in politics, which is, like I say, 24-7, I, I somehow was blessed enough to never let it just define me. Uh, and I have other things that I'm doing. But how do you put everything you have into something, but yet not let it trap you so that when you have to leave it, which we ultimately all have to do, mm -hmm. you don't crash your ship on the rocks? For sure. I, I encourage people to pick up hobbies. <laughs> find that not that it has to be immediate but just find something that you love doing and it could be a multitude of things but 
you know, you do definitely do. And I talk about this in my book as well. You definitely need a break, right? From the mental stresses of trying to be successful in whatever it is that you're doing. But yeah, you as a person, uh, you know, for me, it was, I picked up the guitar and was like, man, I always wanted to learn music. You know, does it make sense? No. Um, I'm a little older. That's a, that's kind of a, a thing that was like, you know, deterring me a little bit. But I said, man, let me let me not even think about it too much. Let me just sit here with my kids and just strum on the guitar or sit on the porch and just hang out, you know, because it makes me happy. You know, find those things. Be open um, to those experiences, because that's where I think, you know, the life lessons and the life comes from. Um, because, yeah, we can when our head is down, we can just be. So just concentrated on that thing that we miss everything that's going around us. One of my other things was going out to eat food. I used to cook before big games. I would cook dinner the night before because it'd be so stressful. Then I'm like, okay, if I cook, I have to think about cooking because I mess up the dinner. I don't want to burn anything. I don't want to mess it up. It keeps me right there in the pocket and keeps me focused. And that, you know, those two things have been things that I have implemented um, into my life after um, after the game uh, uh, left me and, and playing. So, you know, it's just, it, you know, I, I think it's more so getting to know about yourself, you know, getting to know yourself and getting to know your likes and dislikes so that when you do um, uh, move on, you can say, all right, at least there's a starting point. You don't have to have a business. Like I said before, you don't have to have a thing. You could just be like, yeah, I play the guitar, man, and I cook. Let's go from there. <laughs> I'm imagining like family coming in and you've had this huge, beautiful spread and they're just like, oh shit, tomorrow's game must be really intense. <laughs> well, it was usually a family thing. It was like a family affair. So my kids were babies at the time, but yeah, they come in, I'm cooking. I have uh, my, my sous chef with me, would be over there. My wife's coming in. She always loves doing a table. And so, and, and during the pandemic, this was like our thing, you know? So it's something that we grew into because, you know, now we're to the point, like the kids, they'll do the flowers and they're really good. We'll buy a bunch of flowers. They'll put flowers in a vase. We'll set the table, barbecue, you know, I'll be on the grill doing the thing. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things that is really, you know, I, I feel that it evolved into, but, you know, cooking during the season, it helped me kind of take the stress out. But then afterwards, it gives me something to kind of fall back on and use in my day-to-day -day life. Two players, um, Chris, that I wish you'd comment on. Uh, Kobe Bryant. I yeah. mean, that that whole thing is just unbelievable. But uh, Kevin Garnett. Yeah. You know, there there's a saying, um, you know, that you know, it was definitely starting, uh, I got it through hip hop, but it's like, you know, when your idols become your rivals, you know, and that was pretty much the quintessential situation. Um, I looked up to him so much in high school. <laughs> I wanted to be just like him. I would Kevin rip Bar out. That's who oh yeah, Kevin, yeah. you know, I would rip out posters and put them on my wall and emulate his game. Like he was the first guy I was like, okay, I see things. I saw the future, you know, and I, um, you know, had a bit of early success. I had a couple of good games against him. And I think that's when it clicked for him and said, okay, this kid is pretty good. I can't, you know, and, and like, it, it was so funny. Um, Sam Mitchell, 
he was my coach in uh, Toronto with the Raptors. He coached, well, he didn't coach him. He was his older veteran player with the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know? So I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so close to Kevin Garnett. This is amazing. And then I eventually, by the time I got to Miami, it was all, it was just all, you know, it was all business. I, having early success against him, uh, I think I was like 20 years old. Had a couple of great plays down the stretch, 20 and 10. We win the game. And ever since that day, it was pretty much a bar fight every game, you know, with Kevin. Like, I never, I never played against somebody to where it was so intense and so physical for the whole entire game. Was he you know, shit-talking would, you the whole time? He, he, for the first few years, and then he baited me. And then he, you know, I... After he he baited me one time, well, a couple times, but he baited me one time and I took it and then he ended up destroying me. And I said, I couldn't sleep for weeks, bro. I said, you know what? Never again. I'm never doing this again. No more talking. And so eventually he he's going to talk. That's his game. You can tell he's going to talk. But, you know, I had to concentrate on other things, man. He's he's up here. We're holding each other and grabbing and pulling and wrestling. We ain't even talking about dribbling. Hey, coach, you're not even talking about dribbling and shooting yet. You know what I mean? Dribbling and passing. This is all wrestling, you know. <laughs> but um, he was he was just um, a great competitor, and he was he was one of those guys that kept you up at night. I knew that I had to be working on my game because eventually um, uh, I was going to see him and. And we clashed, you know, in the Eastern Conference Finals, clashed in the playoffs, you know, in the pursuit of championships with our team. So it was just, you know, great to be able to go up against a great player like that. How about Kobe? You know, Kobe's everything, man. He was the he was everything before. He was the GOAT before. Um, you know, it was so tragic, you know, of course, him and him and uh G passing, you know, and and the rest of the families that were on. Um, the helicopter, you know, rest their souls, you know, um, it, it was tough, man, just taking in that information, but I won't harp on that. Kobe was a great individual, you know, he, the Mamba mentality, you know, that's the thing he inspired, you know, our generation. And just like KG, I got to get, got the chance to compete against him. I got to win a gold medal with him and just, you know, he was just a fountain of knowledge, you know, the, just the things that he talked about, like um, before he passed, we had dinner in September, a few months, a few weeks before um, the incident. And uh, we were just talking about film and writing, you know, and storytelling. And he was breaking down all these things to me. He's just a wealth of information. And, you know, we definitely lost one of the masters that I, I felt he was going to master life, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, we won't get to talk to him, but he left so much content. He left so many stories to tell that, you know, we can all dissect them and go back through them and really understand. I don't think everybody understood. Like he was the boy wonder, you know, he's the first boy wonder that grew into the man. And this was, you know, this is like if Braun won championships in his first couple of years, you know what I mean? Like, he won this is championships. You, up here. you, you are, you can just, this, your feelings for Kobe it's it's so palpable your yeah. excitement and <laughs> it's really interesting to listen to you yeah you no, really he's have, um, huh? he's the greatest thank you i appreciate that yeah kobe he was um he was so masterful in what he did on and off the court you know i hope uh you know those uh those legacies and those stories continue to move on man. what what does that mean now 
you're in the Hall of Fame uh, amidst these these names, these these icons, and 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 you now stand shoulder to shoulder. Uh, what 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 names still make you gasp to know that uh, uh, to, to to see right up there with yours? Um, right off the bat, so funny fun fact: I went into the Hall of Fame with Bill Russell. Okay, wow, and he was went in as a coach, so he was there, and it was this moment. Speaking of KG, KG was there was me, Paul Pierce, KG, and Bill Russell, and Chris Weber. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. And we're talking to Bill Russell about the Pope writing them letters at this University of San Francisco to support them. And like amazing stories, you know? And it, it was, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, I'm still really trying to process all that stuff. A lot of people try to get me to, describe it, but I'm still kind of, it's hard when it's you. I, don't, I guess I don't have that much of an ego. I guess I'm not sure all the way yet. I used to, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure those things out. I mean, you know, um, it's only so many people that have gotten that honor. And so for me, I'm trying to make sure I pay it forward. Well, I want to represent um, the Hall of Fame, represent the game, represent my family well, but it all came so fast and not how I thought it was going to go, not how I designed it in my head, you know? It, it just happened. So I'm still catching up, but it's been a great experience kind of, you know, just dissecting the things, going back through them and just, you know, going through those moments and see, you know, what stands the test of time. You know, I think the NBA has gone through different, different um periods of, of fan appreciation, or I shouldn't say that. It was so it was popular, then it wasn't popular. Now it, it seems to be popular again. Talk a little bit about the poetry of the NBA, the poetry of basketball. Isn't that what it really is, these giant giraffes that can dance and shoot? And it's just, uh, it's, it's poetic in a way. Poetry in motion, man. Um, you know, I had a, I had a coach... <laughs> I had a coach in Miami. He he would uh, always be like, "Yo, you should watch, you should watch Barishnikov in ballet, man." Like I'm telling you, man, you remind me of Barishnikov. <laughs> and you know that was always such a funny thing. But like, yeah, that's where I guess you know, just using these concepts, using it is an art form. You know, it is art. It's poetry in motion. It's art in motion. And you know, the best part about it is no game is the same. Um, you know, just like a band playing a live show. Tuesday night in Philly is going to be different from Wednesday in New York. You know, that's just how it is. It's, it, it's things passing by, but just the best part that I like about this game is that you can see the evolution. You can see um, at a professional level how it's changed, but the true core of the game is with your friends. Like I've watched my little kids, you know, I just, they just want to get it up to the hoop. You know what I mean? No form, no nothing. Yeah, they're trying to figure out the game. No That's net. Like, no, no net. No nets. Without, you know? There's no net there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the true essence of the game. Just getting a two-on-two two game in on a Saturday with your friends and just being active and having fun. And so that's the part of the game that I'm connecting with now. But at that level, yeah, it's just it's, it's amazing talent, coordination, um, intelligence, and, and, and just true competition. I love competition. I love seeing people at, at their best. The young ladies, um, I don't know if you guys caught that Louisville-UConn game. Incredible game. 
you know, so the game is growing and, you know, the ladies have always been there. They're playing some good basketball and that's what it's about, right? It's about all these things that, that bring people together. Cause you know, I mean, so, so sorry, governor, you know, but you know how it is when you're doing your, your polling or something, you want to go somewhere and speak, it, you know, it's not that welcoming sometimes, you know, the crowd might look the same, <laughs> you know, basketball game, everybody comes, you know, everybody's together rooting for their team and, you know, being together. And that's what it's about. I, I agree. Well, Chris Bosch's memoir, Letters to a Young Athlete, is now available wherever you get your books. Hall of Famer, in more ways than one, Chris Bosch. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. You know, I keep up with everything. You know, I always watch, you know, the Daily Show. Uh, you know, Governor, I've, you know, watched the run, of course, like everybody. Boy, I don't know how you guys do it, man. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Woo, it's a lot. I also hope you you don't do it because there's a decent chance you'd be successful at it and put us out of jobs. So so thank you. For sure. Thank you guys, man. I really appreciate the time. Hey, everybody. Jordan here, uh, your favorite host of the Kasich Klepper podcast. Thank you for listening this far. If you like what you hear, click like or thumbs up or whatever icon signifies a positive reaction. We love your ratings. We love your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about because I'm tired of answering the governor's questions and I just prefer to answer yours. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Kasich and Klepper is a production of Treefort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. Treefort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kugler. Line producer is Oscar Guido. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for Treefort. With production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by ACAST.